This is the Mark Dolan Way. Top tips for mind, body and soul, some great life hacks and my favourite products of the week. This show is available on all podcast platforms or you can watch it. Just subscribe to the Mark Dolan Way on YouTube and join the Facebook group. Enjoy. Hello and welcome to the show. I hope you are very well. Have you had a good week? Um, it's going to be a snappy one today. Lots to get through. Should we start with the products of the week? Fabulous products of the week. And I'm praying that I haven't told you about this before. And it is an almond milk maker. Almond milk maker. So the issue is that almond milk is very expensive. It's ridiculous. If it's not on sale, my favourite brand of almond milk, which is Plenish, costs £3 for one litre. Forget it. That's not sustainable. So you'd need to be in the kind of independently wealthy category for that. Um, pop star Phil Collins was talking about his money and his wealth and stuff. And he said that the, the definition of when he realised he was rich is that he would go to the supermarket and not look at the price of things. How cool is that? So you just go in, you're like prawns, mango chutney, white bread. What a strange eclectic mix that is, by the way. That's not a wild night, is it? Prawns, mango chutney and white bread. But yeah, just goes into the basket. And I suppose if you're Phil Collins, or now latterly Ed Sheeran, perhaps... Some other pop star, famous actor, George Clooney. It'd be the same with cars, wouldn't it? You go to the car dealership and you just go, just give me the best one. I don't even care how much it is. Don't tell me how much it is. I don't want to know. Um, so, but I cannot, cannot spend that much money on almond milk. Now, why do I have almond milk? Well, I don't go crazy with it because I do enjoy a bit of dairy. So I do have regular milk which I know that there's arguments against having milk, but I think it tastes delicious. It's great in tea and coffee. And it's very good as a cold beverage on its own. There's a bit of protein in there, a bit of calcium, B vitamins. I think that milk gets a bad press. I don't go wild. I used to. When I was at university, I used to get teased for the amount of milk I used to get through. I used to buy these enormous, I think five pint, carton took up half the fridge but um i do i like my milk there's something comforting about it but when i went low carb i cut those carbohydrates in order to lose weight um i i was out trying to get everything get the carbohydrates down so that involved not having bread rice pasta potatoes beer and sugar all of the starchy stuff did I say potatoes? I think I did. Um, but it also involved like looking at beverages that I would have. And milk is actually a little bit carby. So I had two compromises. I used to buy lacto-free, which is an excellent brand of milk here in the UK, which has half the carbohydrates of regular milk. So I do recommend people in Britain, if you want to go low carb, get the full fat lacto-free milk and it's much less carb. But the really low carbohydrate milk is almond milk. Almond milk is really low carbohydrate. And if it's a good almond milk and nicely made, 
it's not that different from regular milk. It doesn't have a strong taste. It doesn't taste of almonds, really. It's just kind of this creamy, nutty milk, and it's decent. You get used to it. It's not as good as milk, but it's not bad. It's not bad. And if you really want to shave off a few more carbohydrates, especially if you drink a lot of milk, the carbohydrate content of almonds is negligible. But I've got to tell you, if you want to start a business and make a lot of crazy money for doing nothing, you should make almond milk because you will not believe the ingredients. The one I like, I think it's 5% almonds, sea salt and water. That's it. What a racket. So anyway, I love... I, so I like the almond milk. What I do weirdly with my coffee is I have a splash of almond milk and a splash of regular milk and a splash of double cream. You're welcome. Because I'm one of those complicated people that has to have a very special way of doing coffee. What a shambles. But it works for me. Do what works, baby. Do what works and do what floats your boat. Um, if you're somebody that's very sensitive to coffee, by the way, which I am sensitive to its effects. If I have too much coffee in the morning and I'm broadcasting in the evening, I trip over my words in the evening. Hours after having had the coffee, I'll just blah, 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 just trip over words. Isn't that terrible? So I have to keep the caffeine down so that that doesn't happen in the evening. Um, so I've got a really good tip. If you're the same as me and you're sensitive to coffee and you can't have too much, do you know what's amazing? Order yourself a, a latte from the outlet such as Starbucks or Costa or hopefully your local coffee retailer outlet you go there and you say uh, can I have a latte uh, but could you please give me the coffee separately so you have the coffee in a little espresso cup and then they essentially give you a cup of hot milk and then you have the coffee on the side and then what you can do is just put exactly the right amount of coffee that you like into that creamy milk so they'll def definitely do that at Starbucks you like can I get the coffee on the side they won't mind. It's an unusual order, but they're like, yeah, sure. Okay. I love it. I highly recommend that. So let me tell you that uh, that is, so that is my, that is my trick. That is my hack with, uh, with uh, going and having coffee outside. But anyway, so I was fed up with buying almond milk because of the cost. Although when it was on sale, I would buy insane amounts because we know that's one of the themes of this show is that if you want to save money and there's something that you always have, buy loads of it. So, for example, there was a sale on of my favourite deodorant, which is called Infacil. It's Italian. And there was a sale on. I've bought 12 sticks. Saved myself a lot of money. I will always use that deodorant. It won't go off. It's sealed and shut. It's perfect. So what I used to do with the almond milk is I'd buy, if it was on sale, if it was half price, I'd buy 10. But still, it's an expenditure. Anyway, I was gifted something fabulous, which was an almond milk maker. And that sounds ridiculous and like it wouldn't work, but it's really good. And all you have to do, it's, it's basically like this big jug. It's like, a, I don't know how would you describe it. But it's a big jug, like a blender, really. And you just need to soak, you, you buy almonds, right? You buy fresh, raw almonds from the supermarket um, and they can be the ones in their skin. It's not a problem. And you soak them for a few hours. Then they go into this machine and it basically is so you add water and it just blitzes the almonds to such an extent that the almonds basically they get crushed and they bleed into the water and the water suddenly turns white. 
and it just magically produces this milk. The machine is very quick. I think the process is maybe like one minute or 90 seconds. And then you've got almond milk and it's cost you a cup of raw almonds, which would be what? Cup of raw almonds. If you go to the right place, that could be per liter, 50p, 60p, I would say. Not bad, not bad. Definitely less than a pound, way less than what it would cost you to buy in a shop. A little twist of salt in there is nice. I don't know why, it just brings out brings out the almond a little bit. So it was a great gift. It was a great gift to give me something very practical that would save me money and give me mouth pleasure. Because honestly, almond milk's not a bad drink. And then what's clever is you get to keep the pulp because there is pulp. As a result of the almond milk, you have pulp at the end of it. And with that, you can make cakes and there's all sorts of recipes you can look at if you Google uh, almond almond uh, pulp recipes, cakes, biscuits, you name it. Or just eat it as it is. But there you go. So I'm really, really happy with that. That is the products of the week. This one is by Salter, who makes scales normally, S-A-L-T-E-R. It's a, it's a kitchen brand as well as a bathroom brand. And I'm very happy with the scales that we've got. I've got electronic scales from Salter. I think I've got weighing scales as well for actual weight. So I'm pretty loyal to the old Salter brand. And then the other thing is the Salter Almond Milk Maker, which was purchased from Amazon. I've, I've looked it up, or at least it's available from Amazon at the moment for £60 or £59, which I think that's a few litres of almond milk that you would have paid for, that you'll get back. Lovely. Highly recommend it. Before you run out and buy an almond milk maker, please go and try almond milk first and see if it's it's for you. Some of the ones in the supermarket, by the way, they've got a million ingredients. Some of them have got added sugar, which is horrific. If you do get this machine in the end, it's a much cleaner taste. And there's no thickeners or any other rubbish in it. So there you go. Right. Lots to get through. Let us crack on. Yes. So, first of all, always have your mind open to potential ideas, things that are going to help you. So the comedian Frank Skinner, who is a wonderful talent, he just lives his life and goes about his life and he tries to grab ideas as they come along. And he's in a supermarket and something happens. He's like, oh, I think that could be a funny, that could be a funny bit. That could be a bit of material. And so he goes around and he's sort of sensitive to anything that may be of use to him. Um, I used to, in my dad's pub, there was a guy who was a customer and kind of a friend. And then he worked for my dad as a cleaner for a while. He was a real character and he was a scavenger. He basically was like a rag and bone man. And he used to pick up stuff off the street that people had thrown away. And he developed a radar for, for stuff. Do you know what I mean? He could just sniff it out. He'd be driving around in his Toyota estate or even walking around. And he'd just like see a skip. And say, mm, I think there might be something in there. And then he'd fill the car up with a load of junk. But he lived his life just always on the lookout for stuff that could be a value that he could sell on. Hunters do it, don't they? Hunters go around and they're sort of like, they sniff the air and they're like, mm, I think there's rabbits near here. 
or whatever it is that they're trying to hunt. So in your life, you can do that. You can go about your life and you're just receptive to, you're sensitive to the things that may be of use to you. Noel Gallagher, who is, I think we can all agree, an excellent songwriter, of course, he's from Oasis. And he said that he doesn't really write songs, but they rather, the song ideas sort of fall through the air. And his job is to open his hand and catch them. Isn't that a lovely, wonderful image? Isn't that a great metaphor? But the gifts are out there for us all of the time. It's all out there. It's like what we were talking about last week about communication and listening to people and being really sensitive to people's body language and what they're saying, because that's like instructive and you can like, that's all material, that's all, no, but also that's data that helps you to navigate that relationship with someone. Um, friend of mine struggled for so long to quit smoking, completely addicted to smoking, couldn't stop, tried the willpower method, tried patches, tried this, tried that. And... Yeah, he was obsessed with trying to stop smoking. And he went into one of those, you know, those rubbish bookshops that sell discounted books. So it's not like a proper bookshop with actual books that people want. It's books that don't sell by sort of authors you've never heard of. And they look a bit like books by proper people, but the names are a bit different. So they kind of a bit like a kind of supermarket own brand equivalent of literature. And these shops, these discount shops, they sell crayons and felt tip pens and craft as well, don't they? So they're kind of hedging their bets, this sort of shop. A few books, some paper, some card, <clears throat> maybe some Christmas decorations, fireworks, you know what I mean? Bit of a medley of things. And biographies of people you don't care about. And he was in the shop and he just spotted a book called The Easy Way to Stop Smoking. <clears throat> and it, because this was a discounted shop, maybe like half price or even less, like, oh, I'll give it a go. I tried it. Bang. He read that book by Alan Carr. We've talked about it on the show before. Never smoked again. Unbelievable. But it's interesting, isn't it? Because he was on the lookout. He was open to a cure, open to a solution for his smoking. And hey, presto, a book comes along. But if he wasn't so focused on that and if he wasn't on the lookout for a cure, then he might not have spotted that in the shop. Do you know, what I mean, it wasn't on his radar. He wouldn't look, you know, where he saw quit smoking that like, bang. That's exactly what I need. And that very much happens in life. It's the same with let's say you're single and you want to be in a relationship. Well, you can't go and hunt it down. That's very hard. But you can be open to a new relationship and that would involve leaving the house right you're not going to meet anyone in your home in your living room or in your kitchen unless you've got some housemates who are gorgeous and you get out there and you're open to things and you go to a tango class and someone says oh we're having oh you know we're making uh we're doing homemade pizza around at ours tonight do you want to come around and you're like yeah you know what I mean? I'm single. I've got time. There might be someone there. And you start openness. And that is how you facilitate meeting someone is by being ready and creating those opportunities. So now that I'm doing this podcast, I'm forever looking for material for the show. 
And anything that happens to me during the week, I try to use it and share what I've experienced with you. And so I've got a few things that relate to that. But another thing happened. I was listening to a podcast the other day and an advert came on during the podcast for another podcast, which I've got no interest in listening to. It sounded very boring. It was an advert for a podcast, but it featured a line from one of the guests. This was just like a clip of the podcast, which I won't be listening to. No disrespect. It just wasn't for me. But there was enough in this advert of use for me, for you guys. <clears throat> and someone just said, action is the antidote for fear. And I thought that was a brilliant line. I thought that that is one of the best lines I think we've had on this podcast so far, so far right? Because I know we've done do bad work. That's a really good one, isn't it? Yes, last time, last week, we spent a lot of time, didn't we, on um, how it feels is not how it is. But action is the antidote for fear is absolutely brilliant. And when I heard that, I thought, bingo. I thought, that's exactly right. And it's very, very succinct. Action is the antidote for fear. So let's say that you're at a nightclub and you're afraid of dancing. You just get on that floor and you throw some moves. You wiggle that backside and you get out there. <clears throat> um, I often talk about skiing, don't I? And my struggles with it because I did not grow up with skiing. So I learned it as an adult, which means I'll never get the hang of it. And I'll always be slightly afraid of it, even though I enjoy it. But this year I got stuck in the slightly in the middle of nowhere on the mountains and I wasn't quite sure which way to go. Oh, God. But the worst thing you can do when you're on the edge of the mountain and there's no one around is to be still and just stand there for ages. That's the worst thing you can do, because what happens is your body gets cold. You're overthinking the situation and you're very static I reckon all the stress hormones build up. So what you've got to do if you're in trouble on the mountains is you've got to keep moving. And that ties in with action is the antidote for fear, because if you stand there and I've, I've had that where if I'm skiing on a very steep mountain, uh, just the idea of actually descending this mountain fills me with horror because it's a bit like jumping off a cliff. Do you know what I mean? It goes against your instincts because our instincts are to stay alive. And if you jump off the edge of a cliff, that's like suicide and your body doesn't want you to die. So every instinct says, don't jump or don't ski over that steep hill. But I found with the skiing that the best thing you can do is you get off that lift and you move as fast as you can. You just, I don't mean go quickly. I mean, I don't mean ski fast. I mean, get the move in fast. Don't just stand there thinking about it. And I did a winter sports TV entertainment show called The Jump, which involved show jump. Uh, it didn't involve show jumping. It involved ski jumping. You do jumping skis, ski jump. <laughs> and um, again, the more you thought about it, the worse it got. You just, just get on with it. Because that was terrifying. What you had to do is you had to do a ski jump, which involved climbing this massive staircase at the back of the ski jump and you'd be carrying your keys so you're like I mean this is maybe going to be you know a little bit triggering for anyone Christian but it's like Jesus carrying the cross carry these bloody skis up this staircase knowing that you're then going to get to the top oh my god and then you have to put the skis on 
and then you have to sort of shuffle onto the actual jump, the top of the jump, ski jump thing. You sit down on this thin metal bar and the guy next to you says, hey, Mark, OK, Mark, I'm going to give you a countdown. And then when it's a countdown, I want you to come off the bar, basically stand up and then slide down and then off off the ski jump. And you're sat there on this bar looking down into the abyss. And he goes three, two, one. And then your legs trembling. You have to come, you rise, you come off this bar. And then suddenly the skis just start to move beneath you. There's the skis scratching against the metal. And then you just, and the, the skis are in, the, the, the actual track that you ski down is like, it's these deep grooves. So you can't like ski or you can't move the skis around. The skis just go into these tracks and you just slide down. So once you're moving, there's no escape. You can't turn around and go, actually, I've changed my mind. It's like you're going down. You're going down whether you like it or not. But what I found with that is that people used to put it off and I'd be like, I'll do it first. Let me go. Let me go. And I was completely terrified. But action is the antidote for fear. It's just like, just get moving. And then when you did the jump, you're always fine afterwards. It was normally just the anticipation. There's that very good book that I've quoted before by... Susan Jeffers called Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. And that's very good advice. I am afraid, but that doesn't influence what I'm going to do, which is I'm going to I'm going to do this scary thing. <clears throat> but action is the antidote for fear. So let's say you want a new job, but you're afraid that they'll reject you or that you're not qualified enough or this or that. So you know what? Just get your CV ready update it put it in the post fire off some emails you won't be so afraid then it's like whereas you can sit there for six months thinking about doing something afraid and you never get around to it so action 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 it's just doing the thing and did you know something action is available to everyone okay so not everyone has money some people do not have time Some people don't have energy, but everybody has the potential for action. There's nobody that can't action something because there's nobody that can't pick up a phone. There's no one that can't write an email. In most cases, if you're able-bodied physically, there's no physical action that you can't do, including skiing down a steep mountain, which is your worst nightmare, or doing a bungee jump. But if you're afraid of that bungee jump, it's fine. You should do it anyway. And you're afraid, but you put the harness on and just leap. It's action. It's that movement rather than being still, frozen in fear. So whatever it is that you're afraid of, I want you to use action as the medicine. Okay. The action is the cure. So think of fear as like a fever like an influenza that you've got. And then the action is is a couple of paracetamol or, or some other stronger medication that makes the symptoms go away. Action is also a lubricant. It's like the WD-40 sprayed onto the engine. But I thought it was brilliant. I didn't need to listen to the podcast. I just heard that quote from the advert and that was enough for me. I thought I've got what I need there. Action is the antidote for fear. 
How many more times can I say that? I think you know it's brilliant and we can all learn from it. Action is the antidote to fear. Oh, I got a call. This guy really fancy him. I've got his phone number. I can't do it. Just call him. You have that. Remember, not everyone has money. Not everyone has much time. Not everyone has enough energy, but everyone has the potential for action. Everyone. So just do it. Action, 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 action. And with that, you create momentum and the fear goes and all is good with the world. What else is good? Oh, yeah. Um, the dose makes the poison. So we've done a special show about seed oils and they are called vegetable oils. And from my research and in my view, they are not great for human health. Sunflower oil, rapeseed oil, corn oil, soybean oil, cottonseed oil. These are all industrially manufactured oils and they use the word vegetable because it sounds healthy, but they're not. They're seeds. And they have to use, like in the case of corn oil, they have to use a chemical called hexane to like strip out the oil. They get deodorized and bleached. They are just industrially produced and they sit in plastic containers in the supermarket, oxidizing and becoming awful. So I'm not a fan of the seed oils. Natural fats are the best for me, uh, which would be butter, ghee, extra virgin olive oil, coconut oil, animal fats, and that could be beef tallow or pork fat. And avocado oil is another really good one. Avocado oil mayonnaise is fabulous and healthy. These, The reason why these fats are good is because they're very stable. So when you cook them, they don't change structure. They don't become hazardous to you. Um, they stay fresh for longer. They're just marvellous. Um Extra virgin olive oil calls, contains polyphenols, which are really good for heart health and everything. So I don't like the seed oils. And there's a cafe that I really like that does a full English breakfast. And then they have toast with butter and jam. But they don't use butter. They use that awful spread, which is made from seed oils. You know, like the margarine spread. It's disgusting, isn't it? I think a lot of cafes use it because it's really easy to spread. It's a cheap ingredient and most people don't care. But what I used to do is I used to go there and I'd bring my own butter and I would ask for the toast without butter and then I'd put my own butter on. And I went to this place with a friend today and I did not bring butter. And I'll tell you for why. I just thought, oh, for God's sake, life is too short. I'm very healthy generally. I don't use margarine at home. And these seed oils, there's not a lot gets into me of that stuff. And for the hassle of bringing butter and oh, my God. So I didn't bother. And what I did is I just had the toast with the crappy margarine and it was fine. And I'm not dead. And I said to my friend who you know is concerned about seed oils, I said, look, you'll never completely eliminate them from your diet and you'll drive yourself mad trying to do so. So when you're out and about, you just accept it. You know what I mean? You try to avoid it if you can. But for example, I like chips sometimes. If I go to a restaurant, I'm if I'm having steak, I'm going to have steak and chips. And those chips will be deep fried in seed oils. But I'm not going to not have chips for that. And it won't kill me. And that's why I've got this line for you, 
which is a quote. And it is, the dose makes the poison. So what that means is that actually things are only really, a lot of things are only really bad in large volume. So that, you know, if I go to that cafe, let's say uh, once every three weeks and I have my margarine toast, it's so minimal. The dosage is so small. There's no poison there. It's the same with alcohol. If you just drink occasionally, it's unlikely. I mean, that some people, the experts say every drink is, is bad. But if it's intermittent and occasional, you're reducing that dosage of poison so hugely, you'll probably be all right. Don't get me wrong, consult your doctor at all times when you change your diet or do anything, or if you don't feel right. But um, yeah, if there are things which are naughty, which you're trying to cut down on, you know, don't drive yourself completely mad. It's like I'm sugar free, but if there's a birthday party and I'm given a bit of birthday cake and everyone's celebrating, oh, I'll just eat the birthday cake. It's the dose makes the poison. I'm not having birthday cake three times a day, every day for a year. Um, what are the aspirations for human health? Well, I kind of have um, had a breakthrough on this this week. What are we looking for? What do we want exactly? Do we want this perfect body? Do we want high energy? Do we want great skin, sparkling eyes? What exactly do we want? Like, how do, how do, excuse me, how do we want to feel? And I think I've put my finger on it. I don't know about you, and this is what an older person would say anyway, because I am now older. And I think that an older person has one simple aspiration, which is simply to feel the same every day just to feel the same. So you don't have to feel amazing and on fire and bursting with energy. But if you could just wake up every morning and more or less feel the same and not have any physical surprises. Because the issue I've got at the moment is that I'll have a good day where a great night's sleep, feel brilliant, absolutely buzzing all day. And then the next day just wrecked. And I don't know why. So for the last few days, I have been really focused on getting enough rest, correct food at the correct time, just living a bit like a monk, just being a little bit more mindful of my body, mind, body and soul. And I've been gratified because I've woken up every day just feeling fine every day. And I think that's all you're aiming for, isn't it? Certainly if you're middle aged or older, just feeling the same every day is the aspiration. I think the way it's achieved is a very metronomic existence where you just you you know your body likes the the rhythm the eat at a certain time every time every day go to sleep at a certain time if that's possible if your job allows it but i think that's the goal and i think if you can navigate towards just feeling the same every day i think you're winning rather than having great days and bad days i actually feel rubbish today which is very annoying because I'd had about five days of feeling the same every day. It's like, I've cracked this. But I, had a, I went for a sauna yesterday and it somehow wiped me out. What's that all about? What's that all about? I guess it's quite demanding on the body. And maybe I was already a bit tired, but yeah, it's been absolutely like tired today, rubbish. I've been sort of a wobbly jelly of a man. But um, so there you go. I threw my body that curveball of the sauna 
I think I'm going to skip that next time. It did not do me any favours. How pathetic am I that I can't even have a sauna? But anyway, there was, I was on a winning streak of feeling the same every day. And I think that's what we've all got to aim towards is to feel the same every day. Would you agree that that's the aspiration? And then the other thing that is, I think, something you aspire to when you get older is to just look the same because someone came around that I haven't seen for a couple of years this weekend and I just said you look the same and that is to an older person that is a compliment when you get to middle age the trick is just to look the same from now on and not really change brackets not really age and I noticed post-pandemic we had the pandemic and I didn't see a lot of people for a long time. And then I saw people who I obviously haven't seen for two and a half years because of the pandemic. And they just look different. Do you know what I mean? They've aged. Suddenly the hair is white. was a kind of wild beard. Maybe there's weight gain. Maybe there's weight loss, whatever there is. But a few people I just thought, oh boy, you had a, you had a tough pandemic. You have visibly aged and you must think I'm being very judgmental. Please don't. I don't. There's no judgmental. There's no harsh. I don't think ill of somebody that's, you know, changed a lot in the course of a couple of years. But you can't help but notice, I think. It's human nature that you'll think, wow, Steve's, Steve looks older. Well, Steve's got, you know, he's got a beer belly and he's got a white beard. And it's just like he's changed in two years. Um, and I actually think that this idea of feeling the same every day as well as not changing and looking the same. I think this is the, this should be the Holy Grail. This should be the star of David that we all follow. That it's not exciting or glamorous, is it? But it's just, I just want to wake up in the morning, feel like I've had enough sleep and be able to just function adequately during the day, every day. And for it to be the same every Monday, I feel the same Tuesday. I mean, maybe you have this anyway, but I don't. I don't. So I have to work. If I want to feel the same every day, I have to work on it. But it's it's doable is what I'm saying. So if you do struggle with good days and bad days, then just think about the food that goes into you, what time you have it, how much sleep you're getting, how much fresh air and exercise you're getting, um, how much light you're getting, things like that. Bit of nature. It wouldn't hurt. But there you go. Uh, okay. Um, about nature, we've had a cat just turning up. This cat first turned up. Um, how long ago? Maybe five or six months ago. I was just in the kitchen and then suddenly the cat flap went. And then there's this massive brown cat in my kitchen. Big furry brown cat. Just appeared. I just nonchalantly nonchalantly walked over to the food bowl and began eating without a care in the world like butter wouldn't melt in her mouth and this cat's lovely and we already have a cat so we're very mindful that this cat is not affected by the visitor cat it's a wonderful thing for nature to come to you isn't it and we've enjoyed getting to know this animal who we didn't have to go to a pet shop to buy who we still don't own, but who comes to us and is a slightly semi-detached member of the family now. It's a lovely thing. So nature is great, isn't it? And I don't think that we, especially in our busy lives and 
people living in urban areas, we don't have a relationship with it. We don't connect with it. You're lucky if you live in London like me and then cats turn up and then you have squirrels outside and birds tweeting. So even in London, there is nature. But where possible, try to bring a bit more nature into your life. Can you get a walk in a green area once a day? If your schedule allows it, try and do that because that will be so good for your mental and physical health. And that's my big thing for 2024 for me is more walking. A couple of things I'm going to do this year is walk every day, which I did today for about 45 minutes. I had some calls to make. So you kill two birds with one stone. You make the calls and you get your walk. Perfect. Um, and, and then the other one is I'm going to do some meditation and I cannot wait to report back to you on how that goes. Folks, I think that brings us to the end of the show. Shall I leave you in anything? Um, are there any other little cheeky little tidbits that I can share before? Yeah, go on then. I'll finish on this, which is Judy Dench, who's a wonderful actress. And I saw a clip of an interview. And I remember, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, I'm always looking for material for the show. And for some reason, material always seems to come to me. And that's because I'm open to it and looking to it so it comes just like that smoking book help my friend it came to him and I just saw this clip of Dame Judy Dench I didn't look for it it popped up on Facebook and she was on a talk show in the 80s and she was talking about a situation comedy a sitcom that she was in called A Fine Romance that she starred in with her husband who is a wonderful comedy actor whose name I've forgotten now something Williams he was really good sadly no longer with us he's a good actor his performances were very very suffused with pathos how can I not know his surname how can I have forgotten Judy Dench's husband's surname something Williams not Ray Williams I don't think so I think we need closure we're going to look it up we're going to go onto this internet search device uh, Judy Dench husband I think it was see that's the problem I just remembered it just as I was writing it Michael Williams wonderful actor Judy Dench married actor Michael Williams in 1971 they remained together until his death from lung cancer in 2001 their only child daughter Finty Williams was born in 1972 and became an actress through her daughter, Dench has a grandson who was born in 1997. It's good news to know that that family continues because that's great DNA. I think you'll agree. And um, Finty, I think the daughter was called Finty because they, they were expecting a boy who they were going to call Finn. And then it was a girl. So they nicknamed her Finty. And the rest is history. Um, he and she were in a sitcom together. It was a comedy, very light, a very light, fun sitcom about a married couple who sort of I think fought quite a lot but loved each other but you know it was a sort of imperfect relationship almost like an, an odd couple dynamic but they did love each other but they were like had little problems along the way and it was called a fine romance which was I think an ironic title anyway it was a big mainstream ITV sitcom it, it did well but Dame Judi Dench 
her background before she did that was Shakespeare and the theatre and all these very grand roles. And when she decided she would do a very mainstream television situation comedy, people were horrified. They're like, you can't do that. You're a proper classical actress with credibility. You should be winning Oscars and stuff. You, you can't do a TV, a frothy TV sitcom. And she said, well, because I shouldn't do it, that's exactly why I want to do it. So she went against the grain of what people expected of her. And she went her own way. And she kind of broke the rules every time. Uh, this gives me an opportunity to very, very briefly mention Elton John. Because he had this amazing album, which was called the Elton John album, just called Elton John. That was the album. I highly recommend it. It's got your song on it, Border Song, and some other absolute classics, Take Me to the Pilot. My top three Elton John albums, it's called the Elton John album. No, it's just called Elton John. And um, you call that an eponymous album, don't you? Anyway, it was all strings. It was beautiful. It was arranged by James Newton Howard, produced by Gus Dudgeon. Lush string arrangements, orchestral, beautiful, perfect, fabulous album. And then the next album was called Tumbleweed Connection. And Elton said, we're not going to do any of that violin stuff. We're not going to have the orchestral thing for the next album. He said, because if I do that, if I do a second album like that, then I'll be stuck with that image of being the orchestral guy. So they went for much more American folk sort of sound. And it's a completely different style of album was from one album to the next. So that he didn't get typecast. He didn't get stuck. And actually, if you look at his career, it's very eclectic. Can you believe that the guy that performed and wrote I'm Still Standing is the same guy that did Rocket Man? I mean, that's like different. Sounds like a whole different genre, doesn't it? But that's it. You keep reinventing yourself. But what you do is you go against the grain. So for you in your life, don't get typecast. Do you know what I mean? Don't sort of have it that, oh, well, uh, you know, Bob is Bob is um, he's kind of like the marketing guy. So, oh, well, look, if you want to do a bit of accountancy as well, you can do marketing and accountancy or maybe you're, you're creative or maybe you're administrative. But break out of your straitjacket and go and do what you want to do and, and surprise people. Do not allow people to put you in a box and don't put yourself in a box. When I worked in radio, I was a producer. And a couple of times, because I wanted to be on air, I wanted to broadcast. And a couple of times I managed to get on air as like a correspondent or some guest, whatever. I'd get on air and I'd be I'd be speaking. And someone else, one of the management came in and said, I don't like it when producers are on air. It doesn't sound right. I don't like it when producers are on air. So don't do that again. So... I was absolutely horrified because I just thought, well, well, why can't I be on air as well as being a producer? Why why am I stuck with this? You are a producer and that is your purpose on earth. And then you have these other beings who are for on air. It's like, can't you do both or can't you be one or the other and then mix it up? And so I'm pleased to say that I proved those people wrong and I became the producer that went on air. But... Oh, it's human nature to just shove you in a box and keep you there. A lot of companies are quite happy to treat people like that. You're hived off into your little department. 
I like to mix it up a bit. I really must start my own business one day because I've just got so many ideas about how to run the team and how to get the best out of people. The problem with the reason why I haven't done it is because it's the massive commitment that a business is and payroll and expenses and salaries and admin and tax and legal stuff. Do you know what I mean? Ugh. So at the moment, it's not attractive, but never say never. But yeah, um, I would, if I did have a business, I'd, I'd, I'd sort of like stir the pot occasionally and just say, right, well, listen, you, you know, you guys are in the sales and marketing department, but I'm going to bring you in and you're going to do a week on production just to see how it works and see if you've got any talent in that department. Probably sounds really impractical, but I would just, I would allow the departments to have flow in and out so that it's not, people are not hived off into one thing or another. Um, I would say but yeah there you go so don't be boxed in surprise people with your choices so maybe you're a butcher and then you say oh, I'm quitting my job as a butcher and I'm now going to be an astronaut that's fine but they're like well you're a butcher we well, are a butcher now and then I'll do the training then I'll be an astronaut so then I was a butcher who became an astronaut that's allowed don't worry about it do what you want to do and was there a final aspect to this yes Robert Altman. He is a famous Hollywood film director. He did MASH, which was his kind of a medical war drama. And he did The Player, which was a satire about Hollywood. And he did Gosford Park, which is about the aristocracy, the English aristocracy in which century? I don't know. Maybe the 19th century, something like that. That won an Oscar. Anyway, a very successful film director. Very different types of films. Those three films I mentioned, completely different genres. You've got a period drama. You've got sort of like a war film on location. And then you've got um, something set in Los Angeles in the 90s, glittering Hollywood. Three very different types of film from one director. And he said that he was explaining how he chooses his next project. And he said, if if there's a film and I do not know how to make it, if there's a film and I don't know how to make it, that is going to be my next film. So he would always choose a project where he did not know how to do it. That was the criterion. So he'd look at the project and go, I've got no clue how to make that, so let's do it. And if he saw a script or a project that he could make and knew how to make, he did not do it. So he always challenged himself and always surprised both himself and the people around him by taking projects that he couldn't do or wouldn't know how to. And that taps into another thing, which is a big part of this show, which is that like Robert Altman, and that's what he demonstrates is that I don't know how, how to make it. And then he does make it is that if you don't know how to do something, you're not sure. It's amazing what resources will be deployed to help you get across the line that we all underestimate ourselves and underestimate our ability to actually get through something and deliver. I always use exams as an example of that, that I would go into an exam thinking I know nothing about this subject. And then two hours later, I've, I've written a thousand words on this subject that I wasn't confident in, that I felt I didn't know enough about. But these words came from somewhere. And that's because exams <clears throat> kind of, they, they, they force your hand a little bit. And they drag this information out of you that you did not know was in there. 
And so, I mean, I did not always shine in exams, but I somehow always did better than I thought I would because I underestimated my ability to pull something out of the hat. And I underestimated how much I knew and what my strengths are. And it's something that almost all of us do. And if you have confidence in yourself that you'll find a way, necessity is the mother of invention, you'll be all right. It's like car crashes. When there's a car crash, everything slows down and you just make all the right decisions because it's in the hard drive. You're built to do that. Everything slows down and you manoeuvre the car and you steer away from the cyclist and whatever, crash into a fence. But you become like Superman for three seconds. And it's the same with, you know, I don't know accidents, it's falling over and your body will just suddenly react. You become like a cat and you just land in a way that's just about, you know, I've been knocked off my motorbike a couple of times and, uh, um, you know, you just sort of you seem to tumble on the floor and land in a safe way and then you sort of get up. And that's because a whole subconscious thing is deployed to help you manage this situation. So there you go. Uh, folks, it's been great to chat. Thank you for your company. Uh, lots more to come in the next episode, um, including life is far easier than you think. So go and have a great week. Don't be put in a box. And aim to feel the same every day. Try to do that for seven days. And I hope it's a roaring success. I'm sure it will. Lots of love. Ciao for now. Um, if you're enjoying the show, tell your friends, tell your family. Please give an honest review and I'll see you in a week's time. Bye bye. <laughs>